Welcome to Southside Westeros, where we explore the world of Game of Thrones. From the fist of the first man to the catacombs of the Red Keep, no secrets will be safe from us. Enter and forever be changed. There is only one God, and his name is Death. And there is only one thing we say to Death. Hello and welcome back to Southside Westeros. This is D. Paul, your master of whispers, and I thank you for joining me again for a journey into our friend George's world of Game of Thrones. Today will be part two in our series on Daenerys Targaryen, good versus evil. Which side of the coin did she land on? Now, for those of you that listen, I got several DMs, several messages phone calls, FaceTimes, because this subject (laughs) has lit a fire under several people. And there's a divide because some people feel I was heavily on one side and I was not. I was just giving facts based on what I observed. And and I will always do that. I will say this again. I love Danny as a character. I just feel that the writing on HBO set her up for failure. Now, if that's what they were planning to do, then great. But if you weren't planning to do that, then what are you doing here? But I, this is okay. This is healthy because this show is over. This particular show is over and we have a new one coming, the house of the dragon. And, uh, we're, we're going to see, I, I feel this new show is going to retcon certain issues or questions that you have for the first show. But I go through this tireless thing that I do with doing the research and watching over and over again, because I feel that it would benefit every real fan and casual fan to watch the show again a few times, have that knowledge base shored up. So when you go into the house of dragons, you will appreciate it more. Just don't go into it, trying to make it out to be Game of Thrones, because it will not be. It will be the House of the Dragon. Now, thank you all, uh, my patrons. You guys are awesome. Now, if you don't know, uh, we have a Patreon, and we have a Buy Me Coffee, as well as a PodFan and uh, Cash App. And if you donate to any one of those mediums, then you, besides getting behind the scenes and live Q&As and these type of things, But you will also get secret podcasts that are only, and I repeat, O-N-L-Y, only available on those mediums. And you might enjoy them. They get kind of deep into some of the backstories that we may or may not have time to get into here. But those, for the time being, won't be released to the public. They are only for patrons. So if you haven't checked it out yet, consider it's a very small donation. It's less than you would spend at Chipotle. Help your boy out. Help Southside Westeros out. And we can keep bringing you more information, more great podcasts, and the YouTube channel. But let's get into it. We've talked enough. Let's get into this part two of the series. Where we left off was the end of part one. So we're going to start with, excuse me, where we left off was the end of season one. And we're going to start with season two. So Daenerys is in the desert. Now, I love the parallel between the Bible here and Jesus and the whole nine yards. Uh, 
sending your people through the woods and Moses. And I, I, I see where you pulled a lot from the Bible, George. But she leads the remnants of her Kalasar across the Red Waste. Um, they're hoping to find shelter in the far lands east. Again, she doesn't know where she I want to remind you. This is a child who is now the leader of people. She's never led anything successfully. And now she has her people in a desert looking for a land. And she has no knowledge of this people. She lived with people up until the point that she went to go live in Carl Drogo's house. So she doesn't know where she's going. And again, she's getting advice and ignoring it. And we're going to get into that. But this, I'm not blaming her. But I'm showing you that she was ill prepared and all of her moves are going to be suspect because she doesn't have the frame of reference to know what is right or wrong. She doesn't even know how to feed her dragons at this point. She doesn't know anything. (laughs) And she has nuclear weapons at her side, but she doesn't realize because the dragons are small. Um. She's giving him raw meat, which is probably rancid at this point. We remember we're in the desert. There's no refrigeration. Uh, there's no way to really um, uh, cure anything new without salt or, or preparing of things. And you would imagine that the Kalasar that left took the lion's share of whatever resources they had, gold, horses, weapons, and food. So the people she's with, they're outcasts or slaves. Um, Now, she regards these dragons as her sons or her children. Um, The mare that Drogo gave her, which um, I didn't really go into this, but I would imagine with the loss that she felt, and I thought that was real, the loss she felt for Drogo um, and that infatuation they had, which may or may not have grown into love Eventually, but it was infatuation at this point, and we discussed that. Um, if you don't, if you didn't listen to the first podcast, I, I suggest that you go back, listen to that first, and then come back so you can follow along with us. And while you're there, listen to all the other ones too. <laughs> Plug, but um, I, I think they should have shown a little more of her holding this thing dear. But that kind of proves my point. Excuse me for hitting the mic. Proves my point of the fact that she was infatuated. So. Infatuation is fleeting, so it's going to go away very quickly, and it did with Drogo. I think she started missing the protection of Drogo and the respect she got, because during this entire Game of Thrones, other than fear, the only respect Danny had was the respect people had for Drogo, and in so facto, the respect she received due to his accomplishments. So the horse dies of exhaustion. And she decides to then send out three blood riders. Ricaro, my guy, who had looked out for her from the beginning. Ego and Cavaro, with the remaining horses to explore these directions, not knowing where she's sending them. Now, this is her last hope, and we can imagine her being desperate. So she has to do what she has to do. And she's leading these people. She doesn't know what she needs to do, but she's trying to step up to the plate. 
So we're not going to fault her for that. I, I don't fault her for that move. I think it was the only move that could have been done other than just walking until they all died. She looks up, though, and that's when she sees the red comet. And this comet can be seen everywhere. Winterfeld, OSHA. Um, uh, in Winterfeld, OSHA is there. And she believes the comet is, in fact, dragons. And it's an omen to let you know that dragons are coming and we better prepare. And I think that would would push uh, more into the Lord of Light territory about the omens. But um, the book kind of goes into it and there's some fan fiction surrounding that. And we, we can kind of get into that when we get into our podcast about mythical beings and omens and so forth. Um, now, they're, the the Kalasar she has left, they, they're pretty much laid out. In the heat, this is extreme, exhausting heat. They haven't really drank good water in a while. They haven't eaten properly. They're malnourished. They've been walking. Um, there's no shade, and um, <clears throat> all is looking pretty grim for them. And they're waiting to see if a blood rider, rider comes back with something, some sliver of hope. And then she sees Ricaro's horse return without him. Jora again was by her side discovers his head is severed along with his braid in the saddlebag now he can only assume that Ricaro was caught and killed by a rival Kalasar um, now Erie was Ricaro's mate and she's devastated devastated and believes that the, the mutilation um, will prevent him from going to the Nightlands. Now, on our patron site, we have a podcast that goes into the Great Stallion and the superstitions and customs of the Dothraki. So we go into that very, very in-depth, but I'll, I'll just give you a quick backup on it. Um, if a body of a Dothraki warrior is not burned, they may never enter the Nightlands. So when Carl Drogo told... Um, his adversary that he would let his body rot. That's the ultimate disrespect because if your body rots and you're not burned, you'll never enter into the next stage and you'll just die the long death. Um, they, they consider the Nightlands their land of death. Uh, you know, heaven, hell, it's pretty much all the same for them. Um, she promises to hold a funeral for him and burn his body. Um, allowing him to join the ancestors. I don't know if that was for her respect of the tradition or if it was really just to uh, make Eri feel better. But she does this. And um, as far as Ego's fate, it's unknown. He never comes back. But Kavaro returns with an invitation from Karth. Now, this must be music to her ears. I mean, you just lost Ricaro. Ego is probably the same or worse. But one person did come back. So the, the elation and the joy must have been tremendous. And it got everybody excited. It gave them the energy and the push to head towards Karth. Um, she leads her people there, but gets disappointed when she gets, quite frankly, the reaction that she deserved. You're coming to my city. I hear you have dragons. You're with Dothraki, who we fear and who we would never let in. And we're supposed to believe that we're supposed to help you and you're bringing nothing. You're coming empty handed looking for a handout. So she's denied entry by the ruling council, what they call the 13. Um, 
unless she shows them her dragon. So this is where a seasoned leader would have never gone into this negotiation the way she did. She would have cleaned herself up. She would have came. She would have presented herself like having thousands of Dothraki riders at her fingertips and they're coming. You let us in. There, there were ways, but they, they could read her coming a mile away. They know she's green as a blade of grass and they're going to take advantage of it. They're going to get them dragons. Um, but at first she refuses to because they're her dragons. It's all she has. And um, it seems at that point that she's going to be turned away. But uh, Zaro, Doxus, <laughs> vouches for her and her people, not knowing her, right? But he sees an opportunity. And uh, he stands up to the Spice King, who is playing good. They're playing good cop, bad cop here. Uh, I, I can see it. It's not very, it's not very um, well hidden. You, you can see that they're, they're charlatans. Everything is there for you. But he stands up to him. He gets her entry. So her and her surviving people are now guests in Zara's lavish home. This is a, a very big temple. And from a big upgrade from the desert, sleeping on the floor with scorpions, right? Um, she begins to teach her dragons um, to cook the meat because now they're in a relaxed setting just for a time. And I want to remind you that she looks very comfortable very quickly. You know why? Because this was the existence she had as a child with Viserys. Went from home to home to home to home. So she's a person that can be comfortable in an unfamiliar place very quickly. So now that they're eating, um, she's teaching them to breathe fire on command. She's training her children. And Dorea um, is now seeing her opportunity. I can see that too. And she tells her that she should go smash off Zaro, which I'm going to be quite honest with you. I think Zaro hit that. And I'm going to tell you why. She was in the forest, in the wilderness for an undetermined amount of time with a lack of human compassion, with a lack of comfort. And, and and remember, this is a spoiled child. She was not the rough, tough Dothraki Khaleesi that she pretended to be. She was a spoiled child that was in need of comfort. So when she gets back to this city in relative civilization, of course, of course, Zaro is going to be able to manipulate her. She is inexperienced. So I think he got that. <clears throat> and uh, she went on to do it. And, and Zaro's happy to hear this because he's manipulating from the background. He's already gone to DeRay and let her know that if you do this for me, you will no longer be a slave. I will make you rich. You never planned to, but that's how you play women in this uh, medieval society. Now, they hold a reception for Daenerys, and she's introduced uh, to Fat Free of the Warlocks of Karth. Um, he demonstrates magic by replicating himself and invites her to visit the House of the Undying. Now, this was a big part where I got upset with HBO. The House of the Undying in the book is almost completely different in a way from what they presented. And there was a, a missed opportunity to really interject mysticism in there. Now, in Game of Thrones, what surprised me was it seemed as though they wanted to stay as far away from magic as they could, actually directly addressing magic. Magic was used to build a wall. Magic supposedly uh, did this. Even storylines where magic was involved, they just kind of let fly. But you got dragons and direwolves and giants. So I never understood that. Again, missed opportunities, 
lazy writing. Um, and there's no excuse for that when you have such a great source material from George. But, you know, that's that sets me on a high horse. I'm going to get off it. So um, Zara suggests that Jorah has feelings for Daenerys, which he does. Because, again, Zara's a charlatan. He's a con man, so he has to be able to read people very quickly. Now, she denies this because she doesn't know. Now, Zaro then takes her to that Valyrian stone vault that guards his supposed fortune and offers to fund her return to Westeros in exchange for her hand in marriage. He relays news that the king that she feared so much, Robert Baratheon, is now dead. And this makes Daenerys go seek counsel from Jorah, who you were just told liked you. Again, the inexperience of this woman is astounding. How do you go to a man that likes you to talk about another man? Friend zone. <laughs> That's what she did. Mm-mm-mm. She's eager to seize this opportunity, though, because she sees the opportunity to get what she thinks she wants, which is the Iron Throne. But he counsels against her. He, like Jorah would, like Jorah always, Jorah always gave her the best advice he could. Because he told her, you don't want to be in this guy's debt. But then, Jorah makes his mistake. When he reveals his feelings to her. And his hope that she would be a ruler one day. She agrees to take the harder path at this point. But does not acknowledge his affection. Which, for one shows something great about her. You who claim that you want all this adulation and joy, you who claim that you want people to look up to you, you, Daenerys, who wants to present yourself as a simple creature just in need of love, just had real love presented to you. This man has been with you since 14. Since you left the house with the red door, since you left the comfort, he's been with you and has been holding it down for you, has killed people for you, and you don't even acknowledge his affection. You act like he never, gosh, friendzonewesteros.com. We're going to start that later on. Now, she tries to negotiate with the Spice King for ships. I don't know why. You have nothing or no skill in negotiation. You should have left this off to better men. But he he's, says it's too risky an investment. How am I going to get this back? And the Spice King, even though he's presented as a charlatan, is very astute at this point. He's telling you the truth. No army or open usurper can get any support in Westeros currently. You have nothing to make people turn other than your name. You don't even have the birthright because you're a female. She says she'll take all that is hers, but the Spice King, he's not going to hear it. I'm not going to loan you anything because I'm not going to get it back. My father always told me when I was a youngster, if you loan somebody money, plan to never see it again, and you'll never be sad. Spice King was a, a character you should have paid a little more attention to. But uh, Daenerys unsuccessfully appeals uh, to more of the merchant nobles of Karth. I mean, she's really just playing herself at this point. 
uh, looking very weak. After the meeting, she returns to Zaro's home to find that they've been attacked. Half of her men have been brutally murdered. Eri is dead. And Dorea and the dragons are missing. Now, unbeknownst to her, Dorea took them dragons to the house of the undying due to the alliance that she has created with Zaro and Pri. And remember, this is a slave. I'm not mad at Dorea. She she had no allegiance to you. She was a nice chicken on. She taught you how to please your husband. But she had no allegiance to you and your brother. Quite honestly, she had a pretty bad existence. So she saw her come up and went to get it. Now, Zara holds the council of the 13 so Daenerys can appeal for them to help get her dragons back. The same people that took them. <laughs> Again, inexperience. During the meeting, Pre reveals that he was responsible and Zara announces his intention to seize control of the city as the new king. The warlock uses his magic again, creating 13 duplicates to murder the 13 right in front of her. And Daenerys runs because this, I just thought 13 is the same guy. <laughs> but Pre appears to them only to be stabbed through the back by Jorah. Once again, my poor old man Mormont is here and not, didn't even get a sniff. Shame. Um, now, when he stabbed him, he reveals that it was just a duplicate. And he repeats the invitation to Daenerys, telling her her children are waiting for her in the house of the undying. They take refuge in a courtyard where Jorah advises Daenerys to leave her dragons at Fleet Cars. Now, this was the only one thing that I didn't agree with Jorah. I understood why, because you don't have an army with you. You're the only soldier really there at this point. Um, and what can you do? I mean, you got, what are you doing here? Right. Um, he's any he booked passage to ask the poor for, he actually did this. He, he did all of this behind her back, but she insists on getting her dragons because she understands. It's not about, and, and don't get me wrong. It's not about honor. It's not about how she loved the dragons. She just got them. That's all she has in the world. If she leaves, she's nothing. She's not a Khaleesi or people have left. She's not a mother of dragons. So what is she? Just a cow's ex-wife. That's it, a child. So she can't leave because I have nothing without those dragons, just a name and no way to bring prominence to it. So she goes to the house of the undying and she's separated from Jorah and Kavaro, um, magically, as they want to present to you or allude to you. But she finds herself in a... Um, empty circular room with many doors. She chooses one and opens it and she's presented with tempting visions. First, uh, the throne uh, of King's Landing. Uh, and she then walks through the gates of the wall and she's surrounded by more snow. And then she sees Drogo's tent. She finds Drogo and what would have been her infant son, Rago. This scene pulled everything out of me. Masterful, everything from the cinematography to the music to the positions to the lighting, everything was perfect. If you've ever lost someone, this reminds me of the dreams that you would have had when I've had that dream. I lost my parents and I had a dream where they were alive and they were there and everything was similar. So, whoever framed that scene understood it and it was great. Great. 
She sees her son. He's holding her, but he's not looking at her. He's looking off because he's in the lands of the dead. They talk about those dreams that they're in and she leaves after touching his hair. And she's told when they would be together and it's when the world is flipped upside down. She returns to the room with the doors and finds her dragons. They're chained to a pedestal. This chained right there to the stone right in front of her. And Pre appears again. And this is the creepiest man. His teeth, horrific. You know, he looks like a, a, um, a freeze-dried uh, beef jerky um, sir. What's his name? Uh, not not uh, John Luke Picard, but um, my man who played the Mandarin, Ben Kingsley. <laughs> So he's sitting there and um, all of a sudden he explains that uh, she and her blood are the sources of his magic. And now all of a sudden she's chained. However, she's unconcerned. She has this look on her face, very stoic look. And this comes from what I think she was meant to be, which was just a dragon rider. She understood something at that point. And she looks at him with this kind of cold, almost lazy gaze and then tells him one word that would be her major word for the rest of the series, Dracarys. And after a couple of tries, that's the end of Pre because he's incinerated. Now, Daenerys knows that Zaro has betrayed her at this point because once he's incinerated, the veil starts to drop off. She returns to the palace to confront him and finds the Rhea in bed with him. And she's got all the people now. So now I, I don't want to hear nothing you got to say. I'm kind of scorned. The way she reacted, I get it. But that was a deeper reaction. She, she was upset because he knocked her down. <laughs> I'm telling you, Zaro knocked Daenerys. I told you she's got a higher body count then HBO would like you to, th to think, but they put it all out there. That's a woman scorned. Yes, you took her dragons. Yes, all of that. That's scorn right there. So she opens the vault because I'm going to take you for everything you want. Half. I want half. She opens it up. Guess what? There's nothing. It's empty. So what that showed her at that point is that something could come easily from nothing. This guy had nothing, but he was able to fool not only her, but the entire city. Now, then she orders <laughs> Zara and Dorea to be locked in that empty vault to die slow. You can hear him screaming right up to the point where the, the door closed. Khaleesi, Khaleesi, Khaleesi. Um, she goes through Zara's house takes everything she can. She asks Jorah, uh, is this enough to buy a ship? A small one, Khaleesi. So they take his gold, his jewels, and his watches, and her and her three dragons look on while she has her first taste of victory. This right here was a very integral tipping point. She, the only victory she really experienced up until that point was when she held that horse heart down. 
Every other victory wasn't hers. Nothing was hers. The marriage was set up by her brother. Carl Drogo ran everything in his Kalasar. The only time she had a victory was when she ate that horse and perhaps when she changed the nature of their lovemaking. These are the only two times Daenerys won at that point. Everything else was handed to her. So at this point, she's standing there and she has closed accounts. Zara and Daraya betrayed her and she took care of that. Now, she, she, she gave the order. She didn't swing the sword, which was another big reason why she's not prepared for leadership. I do agree with Ned Stark in that regard. You, you make the order, you swing the sword. You passed the sentence, you got carried out. But she carried it out. She took care of them, and then she went and got her stuff, and she got her dragons against Jorah's orders. Now, even the sun shines on a dog's behind one day. But this right here is what led to the arrogance that would eventually lead to her death. This is where that arrogance was born and started to simmer and started to seep into her being. Now, that arrogance is going to be the reason she can't disseminate the proper information anymore. Because from this point, this person, Joran, who likes me and who gave me all this advice before, he told me to leave and walk away. But I stayed. Now, even though Jorah and the rest of them are the ones that got her most of that, she stood up to him and got her dragons to burn him up. So this is going to be a, a very important turning point because when she gets into season three, and we're going to get into that in the next episode, but she's on her ship and that's when she gets into Slaver's Bay and her moves in Slaver's Bay really show one, that arrogance I refer to two the astonishing inexperience that she has to be the leader of such people. But it also shows she's not too bright. Oop, 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 calm down. She's not too bright. She doesn't have the educational background. She's not a natural person like Bron of the Blackwater. He's a natural guy, right? He's he's got common sense out the wazoo. She doesn't have that. That is Danny's biggest flaw. No common sense. Now I, I get it. I get it. I get it. She's a hero to a lot of you. And she's a hero to me. But what I'm not I'm not here to tear her down as a person. I'm here to break down what led her to being killed by Jon Snow, spoiler alert. And if any of these things were done differently, then her life would have been different. As I said in the Robert Baratheon podcast, if Robert would have listened to Ned on the King's Road that day and took that hit off of her, we never would have seen Daenerys. Never. Because the hit was what made Carl Drogo actually say, let's get it. And that's what led to their downfall. If he didn't put that hit on her, she would have stayed with Drogo, had a bunch of kids, went on and would have been the greatest Khaleesi ever. Because she would have been 
with the greatest Kyle ever. And they would have wreaked havoc where they were, had millions of horses and, and, and done what they would have done. So it's not all on her. Several things were put in place that caused her to be where she is. So, guys, I, I, this one was a little shorter than the first one because uh, season two was very quick. It was very profound, but it was quick. You didn't see a lot of her in season two. That set up a lot of other things. But season three is when we get into the meat and potatoes. It's, I'm going to have a difficult time fitting season three into one podcast. I may have to two part that up because we may have a two hour discussion on season three because you got Slaver's Bay. Oh, my God. The Unsullied. So many things are coming up. You got to you got to come back. It's coming. I can't tell you when, but it's coming. But if you haven't go over to our Patreon site, we got plenty of of secret podcasts that you can listen to to keep you busy until this next episode comes Um, soon, very soon. Hopefully you'll be seeing the new podcast, which is the house of the dragon still Southside Westeros, but we're going to be discussing the house of the dragon series. Once that starts, we're going to be doing a live reaction on our YouTube page, Southside Westeros, but we're also going to be doing a weekly podcast here. So, as always, Vala Harris, it has been a pleasure, and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Southside Westeros. We look forward to you coming back and visiting us again. If you want to email us, you can reach us at southsidewesteros at gmail.com. You can also reach us at Southside Westeros at both Instagram, Facebook, and Twitch. We're SS Westeros at Cup of Coffee and Twitter. If you want to donate to the program to keep getting this great content, please donate to our Patreon or our Cash App. Both are Southside Westeros. Valor Dojaras. And may the mother bring seven blessings to you all.